plot twists, we're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. So, Fran, every time we kick off a new series of plot twists, there's always something new, there's always something fresh. Yeah, it's a bit like a birthday, isn't it? You know, it's a gift. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, what, what's going to be inside? Well, luckily for us, we actually knew what was inside. And that gift is our first ever sports star. Oh, so excited. Oh, and seriously, like, what great timing, right? The Euros have just happened. The boys did us proud. And now it's time to get behind the lines. All games you can watch on now. And what better way to discuss the lines than to have a chat with the rugby legend that is Johnny Wilkinson. I do feel there are these moments in life where you have sort of flashbulb memories where you can mm. close your eyes and remember exactly where you were when something happened. And genuinely, Johnny Wilkinson's kick to win the Rugby World Cup in 2003, for me, is one of those moments. I can remember exactly where I was and everyone just went mental. And I think as a result of that, just... I feel like Johnny Wilkinson is just synonymous with English rugby, such a big name. Completely. Dawson fakes the pass. He then passes back to Wilkinson. So good. Goes to kick with his left, then goes with his right, wins the World Cup. But Fran, he is so much more than the rugby player. He's a fantastic ambassador for mental health. He's Johnny Wilkinson, the entrepreneur with his brand, Number One Living. So there's a lot here to uh, to dive into. As you say, there's a lot of ground to cover, so we should stop blabbing. It's, you know... First guest, new series. So I think we should uh, kick off. <laughs> I like so it. Nice. New series, same same puns. Um, so here he is. It's Johnny Wilkinson on Plot Twist. Johnny, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to have you on. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start. Obviously, everyone knows you as the rugby star. Your meticulous preparation and everything that contributed towards your passions around mental health. But I wanted to start somewhere a little bit different, actually. There was a quote that came out recently. He said, these days I prefer to be open and joyfully curious. And looking at the joyful aspect, I want to know what, what makes you joyful? What makes Johnny Wilkinson happy? What makes you laugh? Uh, to be sort of very much uh, in this way, open and honest about this kind of thing, it's a funny one. It's a difficult one to explain. But for me, the joy of it all is, is ultimately the unknown, yeah, whereby life becomes surprising and I used to say that was the best thing about being a rugby player in the way that I was my career the way that it was it was sort of turning out was what was always fantastic about that journey was that you never knew what was coming you know in training anything could happen in the games anything could happen but then also you'd have phone calls you'd find yourself in contact with people that oh how's this happening you know just the way that things unfolded I used to think that was exclusive to being you know, some kind of professional sports and when you were on that edge of being maybe a bit bit more well-known for what you were doing and there was this kind of, it was all sport, but it's, it's not. It's just a, a different relationship with the unknown. And I think that's the where the joy is now, is that every day becomes a surprise, every moment's a surprise. And when you talk about the curiosity, that's the curious mindset, is that from my perspective, it's a journey of unknowing myself 
so that I can have a different relationship with the unknown around me. Because when I got to the stage, when I was 18, started playing professional rugby, I was just in such an amazing place because everything was so exciting, everything was so... It was just a privilege to get on the field. It was a privilege to hold the ball in my hands. It was a privilege to, to an, an absolute joy and honour just to, to meet any of my teammates and to chat to one of the guys for two minutes as a young professional was, was just mind-blowing. Fast forward eight, nine years to when I was about sort of 26, and suddenly I think I know everything. Just because I've had some experiences, I've now worked out how life works. I've worked out who's a worthy professional, who's unprofessional, who's strong, who's yeah, more feeble, who's uh, good enough, who's not good enough, what's right, what's wrong, and all these things. And now you compare those two individuals and you think that the 26-year-old the would be the one that's got all the strength because of all the experience, and yet the 26-year-old pales into insignificance versus that 18-year-old. And what I was doing was gathering all this experience, but I wasn't allowing it to become wisdom. I was turning it into just fixed ideas and conclusions. And it was separating me from that curious mindset that just has you joyfully investing and engaging, involving yourself in every moment. And suddenly I was 26, I was telling you which moments were okay to get involved in. And I was wishing away a ton saying, oh, this is, yeah, every time a coach did a session, it'd be like, oh, what's the point of this? You know, I know this. And it's that kind of switch around. So for me, the joyful curiosity is simply a choice of depth of engagement in life. And that's where the surprise is. Um, and, and not only has it been surprising in that, but it's been surprising in terms of performance as well as I sort of do a lot of my training now, especially with the guys I coach, I do it through that lens and I realise that that's where the secret to growth is. It's in joyful engagement. It's not in this idea that preparing is, you know, turning over every stone and covering every base and, and reassurance here and reassurance there and guarantees of this. And it's it's got nothing to do with that. Preparation is liberation. And that was... Yeah, that's what's coming to me now is that it's, it's a joyful player is, is an incredible player. Yeah, in, no, it, and that's the way it works. How did you get that back, though, where, where you're the 18-year-old and you're aspiring to be? You, I mean, you, you love the game. You want, you've got a goal in sight. And, but then obviously that burden takes over. How did you get back to the place where you are now? It's funny you say get back. It's getting back to what's original, not the, the mindset I'd achieved at 18 it's not getting back to that. It's getting back to just reconnecting to what's original. And that for me is, is another word for potential. It's also another word for life. And, and what stands in the way of that is just conclusions. Anything I've concluded myself about how the life works, if it's, if it's not serving me, then it needs to go. And, and what I've found out the most recently is that the best conclusion to have is no conclusion about life. And, and that re returns you back to the original and for me it's that's the difference between feeling young and youth and feeling older and age it's got nothing to do with time numbers physical it's purely down towards do i hold a lot of conclusions about life in other words known as limits <laughs> or do i am i sort of revealing my openness and expanding into that space and when you're in that journey it's it's young and it's youthful when you're in the other journey you feel old and i think yeah, going back to reconnecting to that potential is, for me, has been a journey that goes through the physical, the mental and the, and the emotional. And in terms of the price to pay for that reconnection, they're all brilliant prices to pay. Physically, it means relaxing and grounding yourself. Mentally, it means um, becoming excited about what you want from life. And emotionally, it means fulfilling yourself, satisfying yourself. And if that's the price you've got to pay, 
in order to to experience you know the, the fullness of life then yeah that for me is a win-win well how does that impact your relationship uh, your your feelings toward fear I, I think that's the that's the relationship i'm talking about that's the transformation so the previous relationship was it's it's really an understanding of how i identify myself and for me all of the, the the initial part of the rugby thing, all that part was all about the physical. It's like becoming something physically, how you look, how fast you can run, what you can lift, whether you can kick a ball this far and all these things. But from an, uh, as an object point of view, it's how other people see you. As a physical object, I've got to try and move other physical objects out the way and I've got to achieve these major things and I've got to control everything and I've got to stop things from happening around me and I've got to try and make things happen around me and it's just stress. And the idea is, is that as well is that I was gathering this massive, strong physical idea of who I was, and I had to try to keep it alive in every moment. So you're, you're basically just trying to survive your reputation. And then it becomes this concept of just getting through games. So when I was 18, I'd be begging to get on the field for five minutes. Whereas when I'm 26, I just want the game done. I've got no interest in it. I just want to get it done so I can put my hand across my forehead and say, thank God that's over. And, and even though you might hit every kick and you might win the game by 20 points, all I'm thinking about is what went wrong, so I need to get that right next time. And thank God that, that didn't happen. And thank God that didn't happen. I must remember that. And when I'm looking around at other people who are still talking about, hey, what should we do tonight? And I'm thinking, uh, that's so unprofessional. I've got to get in. I've got to survive my reputation. I've got to keep myself alive. I've got to... Whereas now you're almost, you're enjoying the idea that the surprises of life are helping you to to remove more and more of your limits. When you're just sort of focused on what you want to happen next and what you're doing about it now, there's no real existence of pressure, expectation or fear, it just can't hold. If, you're simple, if your energy stays in line with what you want and it grows beyond each event, there's no such place as fear. Talking about that middle stage, you know, where you've won the World Cup, approaching 2007, were there points where you had phases where you didn't have stress, where you, you were able to take yourself away and feel a bit more free, or, or was it quite constant? The funny thing with memory is it's desperately inaccurate. <laughs> so yes. I can tell you any story I want now, <laughs> and I'll probably believe it myself. But yeah, there were times where I was having a good time. But overshadowing it all was this sense that I was pulling away massively, isolating myself, I was protecting myself to have a good time. So a lot of the good times I had were in my own environment. So, you know, suddenly I got hold of a house up north in the countryside and turned it into a bit of a, its own secluded little playhouse for me. Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. I, I wasn't going out much at all. I was controlling the environment as much as I could so that I could have fun within the confines of what I've managed to, you know, to control. So. But I definitely, I was having a good time. I spent a lot of time with my brother, um, my now wife as well. And so we were kind of really in, you know, enjoying life in that way. But, but so much of that overshadowing also came from the fact that during those years, I was pretty much injured the entire time. And all I had in my head was that this idea, almost like the erroneous version of what you were talking about in terms of getting back to how I was when I was younger, it, it, I had this flawed idea that what I had to do was get back to where I was before. So I had to get back to the heights. I had to get back to achieving. I had to get back to meeting other people's expectations. I had to get back to being the best this and being the best that. What I never did was explore the opportunity that was being 
afforded to me, which was ultimately start brand new. Go back to what's original and don't try and go back to what you were achieving. Go back to your true potential, which is you're brand new in every moment. Every moment is a brand new start where you can, it's a brand blank canvas. You can draw whatever you want. Whereas for me, no chance. It was, this is where I was in 2003, turning 2004. This is how people thought of me. If I don't get back to that level in some way, I'm a failure. So w within minutes of, of operations, I was planning training sessions and I was doing them within hours. I mean, it's crazy, but purely driven by this idea that there was some kind of horrible doom coming if I didn't make it back to where I was, that I'd be some sort of horrendous failure if I didn't achieve something, if I didn't get back to England and scoring this and doing this. And that kind of stress and pressure. It's um, exhausting. It was me subscribing massively to an idea I'd made up instead of investing in my potential. And therefore, I put my potential to one side. My body never healed. The potential of, of healing couldn't happen. None of that relaxation I spoke about. Thinking about what I didn't want to happen. Never thinking about what I did. And emotionally, the least fulfilled and satisfied I could have been. As it is, you've got a huge disconnection, which is where fear, anger, frustration, all those things come in. As a result, I just broke down again and again and again physically. Mentally, I had all kinds of issues coming up. And, you know, it, emotionally, in terms of even my presence, I just felt mostly absent. You know, and, but saying that, you know, when I got away from it and when it was time, free time, and I gave myself permission to relax, permission to think about something that excited me and permission to feel a bit more worthy, I had a good time. That's just because I connected. It's simply connect or disconnect. Yeah, the, there was no more to it. And I spent a lot of that time disconnected. You said about having a good time and you also mentioned healing. I was reading about the, I think it's from your own book, actually, from the 2007 semi-final. You beat France in Paris in their own backyard. I think the team was defined as sort of no hopers going into that just based on the first performance. And then obviously you go to the final and, you know, it's a close game. But you mentioned about the semi-final after the game, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're enjoying the moment because, you know, you've won a tough yeah. game and you can enjoy yeah. the moment before you have to start thinking about the final. And you said that you stayed in your kit and you ended up going into the, uh, I think it was one of the training rooms, you're on the bike. Yeah. And one of the trainers yeah. said, let's do 10, 15 minutes. You ended up doing 25, doing sprints and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's two things from that. Is there a part of <laughs> thinking maybe overtrained a little bit, but also that enjoyment phase that you wanted to stay in that training room and stay in the kit because you didn't want to go on to the next phase of thinking about the game. You wanted to stay in the moment. Yeah. I know the name of this, the podcast, the, the plot twist, everything is, is really interesting in that there's some of the biggest revelations for me, the biggest sort of twist that I've realized have been around this idea. And one of them was in amongst the injury period you mentioned between 2004, 2007, actually went up to 2009 in the end. So I've spent the whole of 2008 and nine injured. But the, the revelation was at one point during that period that I was sat there and, and just kind of realizing with all the messages coming through that when it came to my neck, first of all, and then especially when it came to my knee in 2008, a lot of the other ones in between, there's this realization that I may never play or get a chance to play again. And I was sort of realizing that I'd have to write up my career from this point now. What would I say about it? And I'd be able to say, okay, I achieved some things, but did I make the most of it? And that question really baffled me because I sort of think, well, no, there's no way. I feel so unsatisfied. I can't have made the most of it. And I thought, well, this is strange because I'm going to be asked this question at the end of my life. 
And if I carry on doing what I'm doing, I'm going to say the same thing. And I realized I had to find the joy now. So that story about sort of the, the semi-final in 2007 was massively built on that premise that the work had been done and now I could have my two weeks, albeit 25 minutes, of joy. And so no doubt about it, when I'm on that bike for that 25 minutes, I'm having all kinds of amazing thoughts about how great life is and all these amazing ambitions about what I can do with the rest of my life and the kind of interesting ideas that I've never had before insights that I'm kind of like where's that come from and it's not coming it's because I've just connected through joy but what I've done is said that I'm going to have a tiny bit of it and I'm going to suffer for most of my life to have a tiny bit of that whereas I switched it around to say well hold on what if I have most of my life having the joy and use that to unravel the last bits of suffering and that was kind of one of the big revelations I did the sprints just purely because when I sat on a bike I was looking at the bike thinking I wouldn't mind just having a little sprint now so you do it but, but, but why not? And, and I, oh, I want to stay in my shirt. Why? Just because it feels great. And therefore, it's been my simple role now to, to be like, how do I continue to fulfill, satisfy and allow myself to really engage and enjoy this moment now? Do you think your approach now, is that something that could work for everybody? Or is that something that's quite unique to you? I always sort of like to kick off with one question, which is, what do you feel? feel like as accurate as possible when you're at your absolute best in those handful of moments that you may be able to remember from an entire lifetime the real top of the top where you say my that was just it if I could have bottled that and you don't bottle a destination because you get bored with it you bottle that moment of anything is possible that sense of anything is possible so if you go to the state of like what does that feel like when you're in that mode nobody ever says that they're tense Nobody ever says they're fearful or angry. It's always effortless. It's always connected. It's always light. It's always grounded. It's always easy, alive. And so I have this thing sometimes with some of the guys I coach. You might do a, a quick drill and in two minutes we can create that environment. And then you say, right, just go hit that ball. And they absolutely destroy the ball. It's just something that comes out of nowhere. And you can see the surprise on the face and everything. And you say, well, this is amazing. In two minutes we achieve that. Now imagine what you can do with the rest of the week. And so, you know, it, it's it, coming back to the idea that just preparation is liberation and liberating yourself now is liberating the future you. And that's, like I said, you don't bottle a destination. My best moment in a rugby sense probably came as Mike Cat was kicking the ball off the field at the end of the 2003 final. It wasn't once the final whistle went, it was just before. Never arriving, just always on the way, but never arrived. And I think that's that's the point. As soon as that whistle went, it was like, mm. on the lap of the honour, it was it was like this is amazing. But mm. the next morning, it was like this is still pretty good. But mm. what's next? Two weeks later, it was like what's gone? Yeah. Whereas that moment before the final whistle, if I could have bottled that, the the aliveness was off the scale. It was like just incredible. In following on from that. We should ask a, a plot twist question. If we had to pick a standout plot twist from your career or, or from your life, what might that be? I think it's probably one of the biggest ones. It came to me about four or five years ago when I realized that my entire life had been based on this idea that you have to make sense of everything in order to be able to move on. 
And what I suddenly realized was that by moving on, you make sense of everything. And it was this complete, almost sense of relief. I understood that my, this is crazy and that you mean that my job is to enjoy my life to the full because everything had been the opposite. My job is to go through the ringer and go through the suffering, the sacrifice in order to earn that freedom. The, you know, the idea before a game, if I ever sort of was smiling in the dressing room before a game, I'd almost chastise myself as to be like, oh, that's it, you've now, you've upset the gods, you know, you, you're going you're to have to pay a big price for that. You know, don't get too, you know, if you, if you hit the winning kick in a, in a game, you don't get too sort of proud or too happy about it or start telling people about it because, you know, you, you'll pay the price for that and it will come back to get you. Instead of understanding, you know, I used to look at players in the, in the changing room who would finish a game and we might have lost and they'd be sort of putting the tie on in the mirror saying, well, where are we off to tonight, lads? And I'd be sitting there going, how dare you? In my back of my head, I'm saying, how dare they? That's why we lost, because you don't know how to... And actually, it wasn't. I realised towards the end of my career, that's the point, is that I used to sit in the change room and be last to go in the shower because I wanted to show people just how much I was hurting. I didn't want to hurt. It wasn't helping me hurting. But I had to, because according to my conclusions about life, that's how you did it. The more pain you went through, the more suffering, you know, the more the bigger part at the end. And I suddenly realized, well, hold on, can this be done a different way? And that's, that's what it meant to me is that the way that you decide to take your next step, and that's the only step, this is with the revelation that you only get one step in life, it's your next step. Whereas what I was doing, looking backwards, trying to shape all my old steps into line before I could turn around and take a new one. And it just took forever and it just wasn't pleasant. Mm. Another big sort of twist for me was that it was me that had to, to change. And as I went through a process and did change, that's when I started to explore things like the Buddhism and that then I, I sort of found myself leaning towards things like quantum physics because of the scientific element and how those related. And then I went down you know, more routes in terms of self-investigation and, and yoga and meditation and all these kind of things, like just constantly exploring this new passion, meeting certain people in certain times, having certain conversations, certain bit books appearing in a bedside in a hotel when you're, when you're about to play a game and you open the drawer and you're like, hold on, what's that doing there? You know, that little book from the hotel, which probably shouldn't have been put in my bag, but was put in my bag. Um, yeah, the, 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 that's where my yeah, tiny little uh, book on Buddhism was in there. Yeah, and you're kind of having one of those moments where you're, you're thinking, this is not right that I should be in this state before a game, mm. lean over, open a drawer for no reason and find this book, open a page and go, this relates to me. You know, these kind of things you just, you, you can't ignore. I mean, finding that book in your drawer, that's a bit of a plot twist in itself, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you mentioned quantum physics and I, and I don't want to go too far into this just because it's completely out of my depth. But I did want to ask, is it true that you gave, you are part of a lecture, I think it was in Paris, that you gave... With two Nobel <laughs> right. Prize winners, yeah, right. and you did it in fluent French, talking about quantum physics. I mean, that is just incredible. Yeah, I didn't. That wasn't on my original list <laughs> as a kid of what I wanted to achieve when I was growing up. <laughs> I wanted to play for England, uh, win a World Cup, and uh, debate quantum <laughs> physics uh, in French. But the, the yeah, the, like I said, those. It's funny because things come through sometimes for things to do and. There's no script for, is it right to do? Is it, is it the right thing to do? Should I do? What do I want to do this? Do I not? It's simply a case of what's that connection in that moment? 
and that was one day I find yourself sat there thinking, just before it's about to start thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. what am I doing here? Uh, this is like the nightmare I've had when, so, no, well, please say I've got trousers on, or at least I've got trousers <laughs> on. Yeah, it's like, it's that kind of, that kind of bizarre thing, but at the same time, fabulous people, really, really interesting. And again, one of those things you walk away from and just, you just go, okay, yeah, I see now. Just do it or don't and do it fully. Oh, that's incredible. I did want to ask a, a, a few quick questions on, on rugby. So growing up, you and Jonah Lambu were my my heroes. Amazing guy. What yeah. was it like on being on the field with Jonah? Intimidating. <laughs> just just he was just the embodiment of challenge. I played later on in Toulon with Sonny Bill Williams, who kind of had some you know, who has some of those same traits where mm. you're just like you're just you're just in a different dimension. And Jonah was definitely in a different dimension you know and just in terms of he struck me as being such a threat because he could run around you he could run over you and he also had skills and technical and tactical awareness to also make things happen for other people around you it just left you in a space of just thinking what am I going to do genuinely I mean what do you do I, I he ran to me a few times and there was just, like I said, a different dimension of trying to tackle that guy. Just his his footwork was phenomenal. You know, his change of pace, his, his movement, but also then he could just run over you if he wanted mm. as well. But he just, you know, he, he was also in a team that knew how to use him as well. So, you know, you've got that ad, added on. So he turned up in places, you're thinking, oh, he's, New Zealand ran a scrum a couple of times where they, they kind of put him at number 10. Right. So he's come off his wing and he's standing straight opposite me at number 10. And you're thinking, God's right, sake. I yeah. think I know what's happening here. And it was just, it was like rugby league-esque. Just give it to yeah. him and just run. Yeah. But you, but they just knew what they were doing. And, and there was a guy that that just had everything. And I had the, yeah, the pleasure of, he played in Marseille for yes, yes, uh, he did, yeah. a few seasons at the end. So he would, a couple of times he rocked up uh, too long. We weren't far apart. Sure. So he had a chance to have a good sit down and chat. But yeah, uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing individual. But but unparalleled. Oh, absolutely. Was, uh, I guess he was on, almost on the, the first field. superstar, wasn't he, of world rugby? That I don't. There, there, there won't be. No. There's no challenger to the belt he wears. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if it was a boxing analogy, yeah, of course. He's in a league where there's there is no one that can challenge that. I mean, many people are coming along. They're so talented. They're so great. But you're still going to say that his name. Yeah. And you're going to say it alone. And rightly so. Yeah. yeah. I was. I've been looking over his book again, just in in, in prep for this interview. Obviously, you know, eighteen stone, six five, hundred meters in ten point eight, which is I was just frightening stats. Yeah. But then the, the other thing yeah. was that he was also for you know even in, in his peak years he was still at eighty percent fitness. Yeah, which I yeah. just yeah uh, a lot of these people didn't know yet. But yeah. I, I found a quote in the book, his book. So I've got two yeah. two rugby books. I've got yours and I've got Jonah's. Uh, right, <laughs> okay. uh, I wasn't lying. I want to just read you a little quote. This was after the 2002 Autumn Internationals. So I think he got two tries that game, but England won, I think, by two or three points. He says, "Um, I couldn't help but think they were serious contenders for the 2003 World Cup. The backs that day were as well organised as any English backline I'd ever played against, especially that goal kicker. I think his name was Wilkinson. Dot, 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 dot. That must must be very nice to hear those sort of things. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I had a chance to have a couple of good catch-ups with him. And, and uh, it's really strange when you... The on-field relationship is, a, is an interesting one. When I was younger, 
it was one of those where it was almost like the gladiatorial thing when between the whistles it was what it was and afterwards it was very different but you still never really got to meet people much mm. you had the dinners afterwards but it's still you know for me in that early professional era it wasn't like the amateur days where all the players seemed to know each other and yeah and go out and do all this Where's stuff together it? it was still that separation but yeah <laughs> and then we in that too long time you sit next to someone and I got a chance to play with a lot of people that I'd played against and suddenly you just you just realize that you know them so much more than you think you do because you, there's just so much sharing going mm, on so much in, common. in that experience. Everything, you, yeah, it's so much in common, so much stuff. And, and you don't even need to say it. You just sort of sit next to someone and you have that sense, that feeling. You could sense his integrity, the, the deeper kind of intention behind everything he, he's done, just, just the, the human side of it. Because on the field, he, he's machine-like. You're looking at him just being like, you're, just, you're like a machine yeah. and you're just unstoppable. But off the field, you're like, oh, wow. Very gentle. It was actually. brilliant to have yeah. those moments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but it's a real, I think those are the moments I'd be like, I'd let you take some of the games I played against them away if I had to, in order to keep the, the few moments I had in the, in the stand with him. That's lovely. Just sat next to him and just having, yeah, definitely. Because that's, that's the bit that, that, that kind of really mattered to me. But on the field, you can take actually most of those experiences away because it was mostly him running over me. <laughs> so you can have those, <laughs> erase those from my memory bank. Well, yeah. I just watched the clip earlier because I just get a bit obsessed. The rugby geek in me comes out. And he, he's just clattered into Phil Vickery. He was a big boy himself and he sent him oh, flying. Yeah. It's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's scary. The danger is you watch that kind of thing before you're about to go on the field. Yeah. It's, it's dangerous because you start looking thinking, what's the point? <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah. That was like me, you know, yeah. doing too much preparation to play against Jonah and New Zealand was not a great thing because you're watching video when you're in the meeting room and you're in your tracksuit and you're not ready for the game. And you're thinking, oh my God. But then when the, when you get on the field, you work it out. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. That's where all the great stuff comes. But dangerous watching him and his highlight reel because you, you can end up going out there thinking. Well, yeah, I remember he sent, he, he, Paul Grayson was playing in, I think that 1997 game where it was a draw at Twickenham. And he ran into him and he did the thing. He just put his leg forward and really set himself when he ran into Paul Grayson. And I saw Paul Grayson try and tackle him brilliantly low. Really great technique. And it was quite a wide shot on the TV. He left the shot of the screen on the TV. And I'm looking thinking, I'd have done exactly the same thing as you just did to Paul Grace thing. And that's it. I'd have done exactly that. And I'm like, and that's what I'm going to do, I think. And I'm like, what's, what, what what's going to happen? And you're like, well, you just, you just say, well, let's go see. Yeah. And that was the best way to, to approach anything with him involved. Yeah. Incredible. I love it. I love it. Talking of brute force, obviously the uh, South Africans are the opponents for the Lions for the upcoming tour. How are you seeing that playing out? I mean, it's going to be a, a bit of a different tour, obviously, with uh, everything that's happened over the last 18 months, but it should be a fascinating series. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah, I, th I think player welfare, obviously, is a big one because it's a long tour and they've had a really interesting season, lots of uh, different challenges along the way. But just the, the opportunity to have... I love the, you know, the, the provincial games mixed in yeah. with the internationals it's so nice to see that that it's really interesting i think it's quite a nice dynamic when you've got that lions team full of internationals against the provincial team and you know that the the, the field is is leveled so, yeah it's already pretty level anyway because these provincial teams are so good but you've got a team full of internationals you sort of think oh well they're playing a provincial team but actually it's leveled by the fact that provincial teams know each other so yeah, well they're playing week in week out fired up the other guys are kind of coming together so there's always that kind of mix of what could happen you know 1997 was a great tour for that 
in terms of some of those provincial games, the Lions tour. And you kind of think you are really excited to see those games that sometimes can get a bit chaotic, sometimes can get a bit sort of, uh, everyone just giving it whatever they can in the moment. You see some really inspired stuff coming out and that's cool. Um, but the, yeah, the matchups in terms of that, that sort of intensity, confrontational, the, the South African team, they play fast, they got strength, they got skill, they're, they're, and they're quite just deliberate and direct mm. about what they do. And clever with it. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at that 2019 World Cup, they were, they were exceptional. You know, just every challenge that was put their way, they just, they just adapted to just see it off. Yeah, and when there was an opportunity to really break loose, they did. So it'd be really good to see, yeah, to see it, and also to see what happens with some of the selection around the Lions things, mm. because it's, it's not to do with necessarily who's this and who's that and who's on form. It's to do with how things fit. And there's lots of that understanding, I think, to take place over the first, you know, two or three weeks. It's going to even more. There'll be loads of this sort of finding out, discovering what the fit is, what the feel is, how things need to be done. And there's going to be players coming through. You know, hopefully not, but there might be the odd injury. So there might be a few players coming out. And you know, it's 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 a really nice uh, thing to happen for a rugby fan to to have a summer of that ahead. Is yeah, you know, it's a great uh, a great way to sort of chill out. That's the best time. I thought it was interesting. South Africa haven't actually played since the World Cup final because of everything that's happened in yeah, the world. So yeah, that, blimey, yeah. Do, you, is yeah. that, do you think that's an advantage to the Lions as in that, well, unlike the original teams, they haven't yeah, been able I, to play? I think if it was me, I would want to have had runouts, definitely, if I was in a team. The danger is, is it, it's a bit like I put it to my, my kicking practice. I'd sort of do quite a lot and get to a stage where I was really really sort of feeling it and just able to really fall into it very quickly. But then I'd have a long break for whatever reason. And sometimes that first couple of sessions when I came back were off the charts and you'd be thinking, how is this happening? And it's because of that, adrenaline. that kind of detachment because of, yeah, also the adrenaline, but also some of that, the stuff where the mindset's a bit different. It's not routine. It's a bit more open, a bit more fluid, a bit more kind of inspiration there. It's a bit more, um, How you are now? It, yeah, so yeah, exactly, and, and exploring and doing all these things. However, what I used to find was that session three was always <laughs> like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case for them at all, and I, it probably won't be. They'll they'll be doing loads and loads of preparation. But certainly, you know, I that first game after the the summer, you know, when you when you sort of had your, your first preseason game, you're, you're always a bit like oh, a ball, you know, a ball and, and, a, and an opposition and it, a crowd, you know, well, there might not be crowds this time, but it's, it's that kind of, yeah, that, that would be a, an, an issue for me. It's certainly something they'd need to take on, but I, I wonder it might, it might be good for the first few games, but yeah, they, they need to keep that going if they're, if they're going to vibe off that, uh, off that freshness. Yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to speak to you about Johnny Wilkinson, the entrepreneur, your business, but just before we do, what, what are your overarching memories of being a lion? You're getting the shirt, seeing it for the first time, you know, first run out. Um, I mean, going back to 2001, just, uh, I think as soon as you say lions to me, I just think of the other teams, as in the, the Welsh guys, the Scots, the, the Irish. Uh, it's just, that's what it meant to me. Is suddenly you're just mixing amongst these guys and it's just, it's quite exciting. You know, I remember 2001 with guys like uh, I shared a room with with uh, Dafford James and Brian O'Driscoll was in there. Rob Howley I shared a room with. You know, these guys and and you kind of you're just thinking, wow, you know that was that was some of the best stuff there. Just that um, some of the 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 bits in training, 
that just come out of nowhere and it, it's that that it means to me that and probably the first test you know when we played what a game it was a huge huge game but also to play it in that environment with that kind of stadium we got a the monstrous support it was the gabon yeah. monstrous support from the uh from the lions fans just came out of nowhere and i think they sort of really hijacked the stadium <laughs> certain areas of the stadium a bit and and uh and, and it was just an atmosphere to really go for and, and you know it's a big result for us so that probably springs to mind but more importantly was just that sharing with the other guys and and there's an energy in that which is very difficult to create until you've experienced it yeah you can't imagine it you can't imagine it might be like this but it's not that was the best bit you know even just turning up and being like oh right, you're sharing a room with daffod james like hi daffod <laughs> you know kind of played against you but we're going to be yeah you know, and but it, you just click straight away and it all takes place you know so yeah it's going to be uh I've, I've sort of had a chat with a couple of well one of the guys over there now already just to you know, to, to sort of say how you doing everything and I think it's going to be an exciting tour. That'd be great. Uh, I did mention about your, your business interests. Um, I've even tried some of uh, your, your <laughs> kombucha right. health drinks. Uh, <laughs> nice. which are very good. Passion fruit was my favourite, by the way. Um, very cool. My, my gut's in a very good condition as well because I've got the uh, <laughs> I've got the health shots. So uh, right, okay. Uh, are you doing the full? I've thing, done the whole you? thing. I've got. I'm fully committed, Johnny. Uh, yeah, good for you. <laughs> Why, why this specifically? I mean, I guess it makes sense with your passion for physical and mental health. But why, why kombucha? Why, how did you get into that? And um, there were a couple of things uh, talking about things that arise on your path, and with that mindset, some of the things that were really exciting me about that, just that general understanding of of my journey and how it was going beyond limits and expanding to where there is no can't, there is no always, and there is no never. You know, there are these kind of you breaking those rules. And my my wife was um, trained to become a nutritionist, and and I was uh, getting heavily into the mental health. And we kind of met on this physical side of of that. And she actually was the one that uh, she was looking at a bit of nutritional healing as well. And and she introduced me to it first, and we started making it at home. So I bring it at home. Oh, really? And um, oh, wow. yeah, and, and as we yeah, as so we were doing that, and as we were doing that, we could see that the the scoby that you used to brew it. To ferment it, it was it was kind of it was growing, and I was like, "What do you do when it gets too big?" Oh, you you can just give it to other people. I'm like, "Oh wow, this is incredible!" So this product, it eats the sugar which we were, people are struggling so much with in diets, and produces from that reaction all these kind of like uh, amazing things for the body, and and the, the live cultures and the, the acetic acids and what have you, and, and then and then it grows, and then you hand it to other people and share it, and they can do the same thing. I was like, this is something that just keeps going. I thought, I love this idea. Everything else in life is about there's a certain amount and it's going to do this. What we're talking about here is that this thing is, is growing. It's bringing people together. It's sharing. But within the body as well, it's this massive connection between gut and brain, uh, coherent function, brain, body, brain, gut, brain, you know, nervous system. You're just sort of looking at immunity, uh, cardiovascular, so many different opportunities there. I just thought, this is mad, absolutely mad that this is coming up now. And, and again, it's just arisen in my, in my path and it, it's sort of, allowed me to get deeper and deeper into it. And then I thought, well, this is something I'd love to to bring to a slightly mainstream element and and try to do it in a way where you just showed me the, the cans there and where you're also able from an environmental perspective to to do it on a level whereby it's it's done very you know, totally authentically and traditionally, but at the same time the way that it's done is these aluminium cans just go straight back into recycling. They're hundred percent recyclable. We sort of think this is this is a space we want to be where we we don't my thing as a rugby player is i always wanted to be remembered and leave a big mark on the the game and i suddenly realized okay but that's fine but what i don't want to do is leave a mark on the earth 
I don't want to scar the earth with what I've done here. I want to, so if I'm going to do something like this, or we're going to go into this kind of process, I'd love to, to leave no mark at all. Mm. Yeah, the idea on the game is that you leave a mark. It's this idea I was talking about, about leaving a legacy. It's like well, the best legacy to leave is that things are better and, and more expansive, not that you've kind of brought them together and told them how they are, but that you've left them in a space where, there's, where everyone can be what they want to be. And this is what I want to be with health. You want health to be all it can be, not tell people this is what health should be, but to be like, no, explore it. And for the earth as well, to be able to say, you know, allow it to be all it is, because it's so much more intelligent than, than we are. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and that, that goes for what the product does in connecting brain and body and just saying, brain and gut, and then saying, right, you know, let's see what happens. It's kind of like, that's a nice place to be in. They're very tasty as well, actually. I'm going to put it out there. Wow, well, that as well. Yeah, as well. We, we, we do our best. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you did start doing that at home. I, I, that's pretty unique. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we, we're doing loads and loads of fermentation, sourdoughs, uh, kefirs, and because uh, we've got water kefirs with the number one living stuff. and. Um, yeah, and then kombucha as well. So, you know, properly, uh, properly went into it. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. That's really cool. I really like that. I wanted to ask, I think we're running short of time, but about a plot twist person that we always ask. I guess somebody behind the scenes has been an unexpected source of inspiration. I imagine you've had many people in, in, your, in your life so far, but is there anyone in particular that might stand out? In terms of individual, no, I think as I look back, I realise that everyone's been there like I said in this serving role um, that we're all serving each other and, and everyone's been there just at the right time that's been so powerful I think you know like I said my, my, my parents my family when I was when I was growing up um, and, and obviously continuing my brother and, and those relationships evolve and they sort of adapt to, to continue to be exactly what's needed when and where but then I met with Dave Orrid uh, kicking coach when I was 16 you know just a monumental genius of that of that coaching world um and then blackie shortly afterwards a monumental genius of that coaching world you know you can see the pattern that's arising here and then yeah and then then it comes to meeting your other half it comes to all these kind of amazing sort of things that just they just come because they're supposed to come and they're to be fully explored and and then since then you know there's been some yeah, really interesting kind of things around, you know, this kind of, this world, if you like, you know, meeting other individuals, really, really interesting ones where I might get put in touch with uh, a young tennis player and just have a chat or a young, uh, a young footballer or, or working with the, the guys I work with, with, with Owen and, and Marcus Smith and, and Danny Cipriani as well. And, and guys like this who, you know, and, and, when I'm with the England guys, with people like George Ford, you meet these guys, you realise that I think I'm going there to coach them. And what I end up doing is learning from them. And it's, you just, just realise it doesn't... And a, a revelation came to me when I was chatting to you know, a, a younger, younger guy who was thinking about sort of, uh, you know, sort of mid-teens, that I, I just had this idea that I was going in there as a, as a sort of 40-year-old to have this kind of you know, we're going to give some wisdom and try and impart some experience and all this kind of thing. And as I got there, I realized that that energy and my energy just interacting. And suddenly I lost the idea that he, that he was a he, <laughs> gone, that he was whatever age he was, irrelevant, that I was older or younger, irrelevant. And it just became a case of just listen and stop this idea, this conclusion already that I was there to somehow 
tell him some things about what his life should do. I'm like, well, hold on. Once you just let go of that idea and stopped it being, this is my job in this conversation to be like, let it all go and just unknown. I sort of came to this point that that's happening all the time. It's just a certain energy meeting other energies. And once we lose that idea that this person is, you know, whatever is male, female, uh, whatever race, whatever this, it just, you kind of lose all that. You get to the stage of just being like, wow, there's so much opportunity everywhere once those ideas go. And I think I've been placed in front of and in amongst some incredible energies, whether you go through the, the talk about plot twists and people, but events, you know, like losing three Grand Slam deciders in a row, being dropped in the 99 World Cup quarterfinal and back to the bench and uh, winning the 2003 World Cup final in extra time in the last seconds, being injured for four years non-stop, getting to the final again in 2007, moving to France because of all those injuries, realizing in France that this happens, finishing France with you know, losing three finals in a row in France and then finishing on a double and two European titles. You're kind of like, all it's telling me is whatever's coming, just trust it one more step. Whatever that challenge is, just say yes to it. It's part of it. It's not the end of it. It's part of it. If you just take that next step. And I think that people have inspired me to do that, that I've been around. The, the message has always been, just go again in the direction of what you want and how you want to do it. And when you do, you look back and go, oh, it was always about that next step. It was never about the ones <laughs> I've taken already. It's just that next step. So yeah, that's that's kind of the, the, the big plot twist for me is those people have been there to remind me that you're enough already. You're perfect as you are. You've got everything you need if you just allow yourself that next step. I think when you explain it like that, you can really understand how you've got to where you've got to now, which is which is really cool. Uh, which which essentially is great, but it just doesn't matter because I'm only interested in my next step. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind of it, it's 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 brilliant, and I'm I'm more than happy to talk about it and all the learnings that have come from it. But it doesn't make me who I am. Yeah. It, it's I'm, I'm fresh, I'm brand new now, and I'm just I'm sort of excited about what we talk about next. And then when this is finished, I'll be like, What's next? Who am I going to meet? Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's not uh, there's just no higher or lower importance to things. It's just where's my passion and. And off we go. It's a way of thinking, though, that kind of it, it does from listening to it, it eliminates barriers because as, as a society, we, we do put fixations on numbers, on age, on on race. We do. Yeah. We do. Nationality. nationality. We nationality, do all of that. But actually, everything. Like, none of that really matters. If you go to that level and start asking your experience for answers, you get some really amazing responses. If you ask your mind for answers, you get the same odd stuff. You get numbers, you get figures, you get logic, you get deductions, you get conclusions. Whereas if you go to experience, all you ever get is just a new door into a new room, a new space full of new doors and new rooms and new space. And you kind of, that's what you mean is it's, it's barrierless. It's, it's just, uh, it's, it's expansive, an expansive journey. And, and in that space is, we said this to people before, I've had a few people ask me with regard to young, younger kids to say, you know, how do you keep them interested in whatever they're doing and it's like what's well, it's, it's only ever about improvement and growth because where there's space to improve and grow and the momentum in that direction there's passion and excitement and where there's passion and excitement no one works against that <laughs> you know no one works against what their passion and excitement is if it's available and there's available passion and excitement for growth in every moment you just have to be pointed towards that instead of pointing yourself towards what's been and where you think the limits are just you know, point yourself in, in the direction of where you want to go instead. Johnny, it's been fascinating chatting. 
Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, good luck with everything around the business. Let's, let's hope the Lions do the job in South Africa. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, we'll all be watching. Yeah. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Huge, huge thank you to Johnny Wilkinson. And what an interview that was. You covered so, so much ground. But when you went into that interview, did you really expect to be having, I suppose, such a philosophical debate with really one of your childhood heroes? Uh, in a word, no. I mean, Fran, I, <laughs> I knew he teed us up before and said, he, you know, he can be quite intense. So we knew, you know, some aspects of the conversation would get to that. But it was just extraordinary, completely absorbed. And of course, then to talk about his career, the rugby, Jonah Lomu, all these things was just awesome. Yeah, I suppose, you know, these competitive sports stars, they've always got really interesting backgrounds in terms of what, you know, drives mm. them and motivates them. And we were discussing, weren't we, about in his book, he was saying, you know, as a child, he developed this huge sort of perfectionism in his life as a result of kind of a fear of of dying and how that then kind of evolved into he had to be perfect for everything. Everything was a test. He had to meet those standards. That is so much pressure for one person to put on themselves. And actually, but as a result of that, how he's really evolved as a person following that, like what he's learned from his experiences. It was really, really a fascinating listen. It really was. And, and that was something that I think, you know, fans of rugby and fans of Johnny could really be pleased about, I think, because... His, his battles have been well documented, but to sort of come through it in his uh, meticulous ways, you know, and being joyfully curious, as we said at the beginning, was was really nice to see. And then, of course, to talk all about the rugby, talk about the South Africa tour with the Lions, uh, which you can watch on now, by the way, you know, was was really interesting. Um, and what listeners don't see also is where he's talking about Jonah Lomi, for example. He's got the biggest smile on his face. So just to have that conversation was just all of it amazing. And, and what about quantum physics? I know. I mean, if I could speak fluent French, which I can <laughs> assure you that I definitely can't. You really can't. Of all the things that I would do in that other language, probably doing a lecture in quantum physics would be the single lowest thing <laughs> on the list of things that yeah. I would choose to do. But there he is, Johnny Wilkinson, just, yeah, lecturing on quantum physics and fluent French. Sure. Why not? I think I said at the beginning of that conversation, I said, I'm very much on my depth here. So let's, let's keep this short <laughs> yeah. and sweet. Um, but I think we can both agree that they say about a few stars, but Johnny Wilkinson is certainly more than just an ex-rugby player. Yeah. And I think that anyone who can sit there and profess that they are most comfortable in sitting in the unknown is a very special kind of person because not many people really can say that a lot of us really really fear that but he's definitely someone who's clearly learned to embrace it um, and actually find joy in it like enjoying being comfortable being uncomfortable so yeah probably a lot of things that we could we could learn from johnny i think we definitely could so a big thank you to johnny wilkinson and don't forget if you want your summer of sport to continue the lions tour of south africa all three tests are on now so get streaming yeah grab yourself a now sports membership Kick back, relax, and enjoy because it's definitely going to be a good one. So we'll see you next week. Yeah, try not to miss us too oh, much. Fran. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> bye bye. Ciao. <laughs>